Welcome to the Booktopia podcast. I'm here with Adele Ferguson to talk about her new book, Banking Bad. Thanks for joining us, Adele. My pleasure. I thought uh, we could start off by talking a little bit about the sort of context for this book and where it sits in the timeline of banks behaving badly um, in Australia. Well, I wanted to go back to where it all began. And so in my research, I realised that it was with deregulation of the financial services sector, which was something that was needed. But what happened was there wasn't enough regulation. So things started to fall apart then and they just continued to get worse and worse. And then I started doing banking scandals from 2013 and kept picking it up from there. And yeah, by that time, it was really out of control. And that's really the context of looking at how we got to a Royal Commission. Yeah, I mean, I was quite surprised um, how much history there was, really, to how the banks have been awful for so long. They have. And I mean, my personal experience isn't good. Uh, Most of the people I know don't have good opinions about banks. Um, But I certainly just didn't have it in my head that it had really been going on or that it had ever been different, I think, maybe. Yeah, no, I remember when I was looking into the deregulation, I rang up uh, John Wacker-Williams, who was a politician maverick who'd really been pushing for a Royal Commission and started talking to him about it. And he said, hey, I'm a victim of deregulation. I was a a shearer and uh, couldn't pay my bills. So I went to the local CBA branch wanted to get a $200,000 loan and came out with a $640,000 Swiss currency franc loan. Two weeks later, it was $1.5 million. Man. And, yeah, it just got worse and worse. He ended up, his marriage broke down. And, you know, it's, it's those sort of stories that bring to life wrongdoing in the banks, you know, when things aren't regulated properly and the banks are behaving badly due to greed and targets and bonuses, mm. this is what you get. And it, it really brings to light the sort of core at the, of why we had a Royal Commission. Is, and I think that was a really great way to write this book, actually, is going back and, then, and putting your finger on why it changed and what the cultures were within the bank that allowed this behaviour to and incentivised this behaviour. Yeah, that's right. And, it, and what, it, what it does is it looks at... Why didn't it stop? You know, when you had you had a number of scandals throughout the years, why didn't things change? And there's a number of factors at play. There's powerful lobby groups who you might have an inquiry, have some great recommendations to fix the system, and they just are so powerful and they've got so much money that things get watered down. You've got weak regulators and the system just keeps on feeding itself. Yeah, it's a it's a terrible story, really. <laughs> I mean, you've written it well, it but is. it's a terrible story. <laughs> it is a terrible story, but it, it's it's sort of also meant to give hope that if now that we've seen what's gone wrong and why it's gone wrong, perhaps we can fix it. Absolutely. Um, I wondered if we could talk a little bit about whistleblowers. This is at the heart of you, or at the heart of you being at the heart of this story is the fact that you were the um, the person that whistleblowers decided to confide in. Yeah, that's absolutely right. It, uh, it, it's a funny, well, it's not a funny story. It's a weird story in the sense that it began with Gina Reinhardt doing a book on her. She subpoenaed me for my contacts and I became seen as someone you could trust. Mm. 
Mm. So Senator John Williams was contacted by a Combank whistleblower, Jeff Morris, and he said, I know just the person you should talk to. And it had a cascade effect. That whistleblower, Jeff Morris, what he exposed about Commonwealth Bank, really blew the lid on everything. A lot of whistleblowers then started coming forward from, from NAB, from ANZ, from Macquarie, IOOF, Cominshaw. It just kept going and going and going. Yeah. And can you give us this sort of big picture idea of the kinds of things that they were talking about? I mean, I know it's a yeah, big absolutely. story. No, so. They, so, for instance, Jeff Morris uh, was a financial advisor at Commonwealth Bank. He exposed forgery, fraud, management cover-up, vulnerable people who'd gone to the local bank, who they trusted the Commonwealth Bank, who they'd you know, had their deposits with since they were kids, Dolomite accounts, mm. and had been completely done over by the bank and believed that they were, it was just them. You know, they were silly and they didn't know what they were investing in. Once the story came out, thanks to Jeff Morris, everyone started to think, hey, that's happened to me. That's happened to me. Maybe it's not me. I'm not stupid. Maybe it was actually the banks. Yeah. Cause, uh, and Australia is quite a well-banked country, and yet I, I get the impression people don't trust themselves with their own money or something. There's some weird culture in Australia where we don't really... Um, we, we do blame ourselves when things go wrong with our money. Yeah, that's right, because we don't really understand... It. And that's part of the problem. A lot of these financial products are so complicated. You go there, it's, it's a bit like going to a doctor. Mm. You don't understand what's wrong with you. So you go to a doctor to get advice and to get the right pills and you trust them. And that's what you go to a financial advisor, you go to the bank to get advice on how to invest your money and you're supposed to get the right advice. And that hasn't been what's happened. It's due to commissions and all sorts of things. They were mm. conflicted and they were putting people into products that were paying them commissions and trailing fees and it wasn't suitable. So a lot of people lost a hell of a lot of money. Yeah, I, I think that's an interesting thing to talk about, the idea what drove the culture of these banks changing in the environment of deregulation and privatisation. Um, and in the 80s, the, the greed is good you quote uh, Gordon Gecko, uh, yeah, the, the whole right. line that, uh, in the book. Um, I didn't really think about the fact that before that point, that banks, particularly Commonwealth, were sort of allowed or expected to look after us. Yeah, well, the, the, it was gov- the Commonwealth Bank was government-owned. Mm. It, and so it was a very different uh, culture back then. It was privatised. And it then had to look after shareholders, make sure the share price went up. And there was a whole change in the banking system with deregulation that became more of a focus on how do we get the share price up? How do we get profits up? Let's start incentivising staff. And also the CEOs and the senior executives get big bonuses out of it. So the culture started to become one of greed, driven by bonuses and targets. Mm. And those targets um, were pretty aggressive, right? Yeah, yeah. And it was very addictive. You know, the, the, you beat your target, you get a bigger bonus. You increase the share price, you get a bigger bonus. And even on the, like, the level of tellers, they, they had targets to try and Everybody. sell products to people. Yeah, that's right. You know, so there was a case of which really 
clarified it for me was the case of uh, a guy called Noel Stevens, who was a scaffolder and he got a call from Commonwealth Bank, local branch manager, to say, come in, we want to have a chat with you. So he believed that they cared about him. He goes in, he had $8,000 in his account, so they couldn't put him into anything, but they saw that he had a life insurance policy with Westpac. So they convinced him to swap it over to a Commonwealth Bank life insurance policy. A year later, he gets pancreatic cancer and can't claim on that policy. And what you find out from the court case is the bank teller had got a kickback for putting him onto the financial planner at Commonwealth Bank who got a kickback for putting him into that dud life insurance policy. He spent the last six months of his life fighting the bank to get back what he was owed. That's just awful. And, and what's even worse is he won the case a few days before he died and as his daughter was... Uh, preparing funeral plans, Commonwealth Bank appealed. Oh, man. <laughs> so they, they appealed and she had to go through that case and won it. Well, I mean, that's, there's, there are rare gems of stories like that in there where you find out about these poor people who've been totally screwed and fight and fight and fight and win and just as many stories where they do the same and lose. Yeah, that's right. But, you know, thank, thankfully for people who speak out like whistleblowers and people who've been done over by the banks, we're able to find out what, what really went on. Mm. And, I mean, that sort of brings to mind how important the legal departments of these banks are for um, yeah. both driving what happens and protecting them from what happens. Yeah, so well, the, the motto is delay, deny, litigate. <laughs> it they was named hard. well, your book. <laughs> Yeah, they, the, the legal departments play very hard. Yeah. Um, I thought we could talk a bit about how the media ties into it because obviously, I mean, as a member of the, the Fourth Estate yourself, you've, you've yes. been driving this story, um, not alone, but um, there are lots of brave journalists pushing it. But there, there does seem to be other journalists who are perhaps not as clean. <laughs> Their hands yeah, are not right. as clean. Well, I must say in, in the early days, there were not many media outlets that were backing this story. Mm -hmm. They thought that it was a bit of a beat-up. And for many years, there was a lot of uh, media outlets and columnists who were saying that, you know, it's just a populist whinge. It's bank bashing. It happened in the past. Move on. Yeah, and so what, what drove you to keep going? I think talking to various whistleblowers and looking at documents and speaking to people who've been done over, I realised that it wasn't just a few bad apples. It was it was the whole barrel was yeah. one, really. Yeah, absolutely. It does definitely seem that way. And when you started reporting on it, you also got negative um, coverage from other media organisations. Absolutely, yeah. And why do you think that happened? Because the banks are very powerful and they have very powerful public relations departments and lobby groups who are in their ear telling mm. them this is just rubbish. Absolutely. And, I mean, on top of that, you had regulation, <laughs> regulatory bodies, government organisations who were coming after you as well yeah. when, when they were simultaneously ignoring their job to do what they were supposed to be doing. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, no, it was, it was crazy. Uh, can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, sure. So that was uh, Macquarie. I'd mm. written a story uh, during the global financial crisis. Macquarie wasn't happy with it. And the same day that the story came out, and by the way, it was completely 
100% true. ASIC investigated me. They hauled in a banking analyst to basically interrogate him. I did a freedom of information um, request to make sure that this was actually the case and discovered to my shock that it was. They actually did investigate me to see whether I was involved in rumourage, which was ridiculous, which is, by the way, a criminal offence. Yeah, I mean, that was the first time I've come across that word, rumourage. It's basically influencing the... the, It's basically working um, in cahoots with, say, a a stockbroker or investment bank or whatever to put out something that's wrong so that the share price will tank and you can make money out of that. Yeah, and I mean, I guess much of the investigative work you've done, which then led to the Royal Commission has wiped billions of dollars in value from these banks. I don't know how permanent that will be, but do you feel, how do you feel about that? Well, the Royal Commission wiped off about $59 billion from the big four banks and AMP and IWF. They were really responsible for that. Mm. They had done the wrong thing. And for years, there were so many scandals that had come out and nobody particularly cared. You know, the uh, investors didn't really care it would hardly touch the share price. And it was only when it was a 12 months of Royal Commission, you know, putting the spotlight on what had really gone on and the scale of the systemic institutionalised theft mm. that the share price started to fall. Yeah. And I mean... I so, think I don't, so, so, so not to interrupt, no, but go for it. it was really... Uh, I, I didn't feel responsible for that. For instance, AMP shares fell by more than half because they were caught lying to the regulator more than 20 times. You know, they were saying with the fees for no services scandal, they were blaming it on administrative problems and mm. technology when in fact it was deliberate. They got caught. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. the, the level of deception that you will read about when you read this book <laughs> is yeah. utterly shocking. The idea that they got away with it for so long and, and there was so little care given by um, normal people, yeah. many of whom were being hurt. That's right. Um, is I was totally blown away by that. And, and one of the arguments that the government uh, raised to not have a Royal Commission was that it could affect the economy, it could affect our standing overseas which is just nonsense really because the banks survived. They survived Mm. very well. They're still making record profits. You know, the banks are some of the most profitable in the world. But what are you meant to do? Ignore wrongdoing, let it keep getting worse and worse and worse just in case it might affect them. Yeah, and in the the long run, in terms of having a long-term trust in the banking industry, it is better that these things come out, right? It is, yeah. Yeah. Sunlight is the best form of disinfectant. Absolutely. As they say. <laughs> um, so many of the stories in this are ordinary Australians being um, screwed, ripped off, lied to. But it gets worse than that. I mean, there are stories in here about, um, you know, money laundering, um, ter- international terrorism. Can you tell us some of, the, some of those juicy bits? Yeah, well, again, it was... <laughs> Unfortunately, Commonwealth Bank, where uh, Austrac found that they had, you know, 56,000 breaches of the Money Laundering and Counter-Terrorism Act, and it had gone on for a number of years, and, you know, so many breaches, and there were, it was just shocking what had gone on, Mm. you know, where the AFP 
the AFP, the police, would go to Combank telling them that we're investigating these, these criminals and they were so bureaucratic that they weren't closing the accounts for 20 to 30 days. That's crazy. <laughs> yes, you know, really cr- because of the bureaucracy and, you know, the left hand wasn't talking to the right hand mm. and Austrac uh, took them to court. So there was this yeah. statement of claim that was just full of the most egregious misconduct. And again, it's because to some extent because they're incentivized to look the other way. Yeah, well, these uh, machines that they had were very profitable. They were pumping through billions of dollars each month. Yeah. Yeah, crazy. Um, I thought we'd try and end on a more hopeful note (laughs) to talk a bit about um, where you see things heading now and if if you see any sort of silver lining or light at the end of the tunnel um, post-Royal Commission. Yeah, so the Royal Commission, the final report came out. It was a bit disappointing. Didn't Mm. go far enough. The Royal Commission was too short. Terms of reference weren't deep enough. But on the bright side... What it did was it really put the regulators on notice. So people are under no illusion now that the regulators have totally failed us. So they're trying to pick up their game. And if at least you have regulators that are doing their job, there is hope that the banks will start doing the right thing. You know, if we start to see some people going to jail, that should start making people do the right thing. Absolutely. I I couldn't believe how much... The banks got away with just, you know, donating to a charity and then being on their merry way. Yeah, you know, and and draft press releases getting sent to the regulated entities, the banks, to say, how how do you feel about this draft press release? Is there anything you want changed? This is the regulator. It's just smacks of being captive Mm. and it's just not on. So (laughs) heads on sticks will really change cultures, I think. I hope I hope it happens. <laughs> I do too. Yeah. Do you, do you have any advice for regular people in interacting with banks? I think that they really shouldn't be intimidated. If they complain, the banks are now listening. So mm. the the louder you talk, the more they'll listen this time round instead of thinking you're alone and not saying anything just thinking it's your fault. Don't think that at all go to the complaints department or go to the ombudsman and start which is called AFCA and start complaining. That is excellent advice. Adele Ferguson, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. And again, the book is Banking Bad and you can buy it uh, or you can pre-order it right now or buy it if you're listening to this later at booktopia.com.au. Thanks for listening to Booktopia Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes. And if your eyeballs need a workout, check us out on YouTube at Booktopia TV. And don't forget for all books featured on this episode and all episodes of the Booktopia podcast, head to Booktopia, Australia's local bookstore at www.booktopia.com.au. Thanks for listening.